0: Morning, And we see it here in this passage, despite Jonah's unfaithfulness, we see very clearly here in this first verse that God was gracious toward Jonah, despite the fact that Jonah had proven to be unfaithful before. As a prophet, Jonah was to go and to proclaim what God, what Jehovah, would say to him. But if you were to flip back a page, back to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, you would see that God had told this prophet very clearly to go and to proclaim God's message to the people of Nineveh. But instead of going to Nineveh to deliver God's message, Jonah ignored God's instruction and completely disobeyed his command. Instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah fled to Tarshish, which was nowhere near Nineveh. And you'll find out that there was no confusion here on the the part of Jonah, considering the timeline as to when he was to obey God's command. His obedience was supposed to be immediate, yet he chose to flee toward Tarshish. God's instruction, his command to Jonah was clear, it was direct, yet yet Jonah chose to disobey God's command. We see here Jonah's direct disobedience toward God. He knew what he was supposed to do, and yet he chose to go his own way. You know, we can look at this this morning and scoff at the foolishness of this prophet because we know that our God is all-knowing. We know that our God is all-present. We know that our God is all-powerful. So we can sit here this morning and perhaps scoff at this prophet Jonah. But are there not times in our lives where we do the exact same? Sure, we don't buy a ticket to go to Tarshish. God has not told us to go to Nineveh necessarily, but God gives us clear instruction and we choose to disobey. Perhaps our excuse is that God's instruction was not clear when the opposite is true. Or perhaps we we act in ways that we think are better than God's ways. Be careful to avoid such foolishness, such sin. Obey the instruction of God. But we see here that God extended grace toward Jonah despite his foolishness, despite his disobedience. Instead of obeying God, Jonah disobeyed. Instead of heading to Nineveh, he headed to Tarshish. How many times have you and I received clear instruction, clear commands from God, and yet we've chosen to go our own way? Perhaps it's looked this way. Sure, it's not go to Nineveh, go preach to this wicked people, but perhaps God has made it clear to you, Christian, to start discipling another, one, another Christian in, in this church. And you've chosen to ignore that instruction because you don't want to be bothered with that responsibility. See, not only was God gracious to Jonah despite his unfaithfulness, but Christian, God is gracious to you and to me despite the times that we choose to live in sin, despite the times that we choose to live in rebellion against God. Aren't you thankful this morning for the unmerited favor of God? God's grace is evident to Jonah because he gives this command again. It's evident because Jonah is restored to his office and the commission given to him before is renewed. Despite disobeying God, despite fleeing, we now see God show grace toward Jonah. There's such clear evidence of God's grace in this command because he simply re-echoes the command to Jonah. He gives him a second command. Chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time is what the passage says. Just powerful words there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. His command did not change. It remained the same. Now, I don't know about you, but perhaps when you're reading your Bible sometime, um, i found myself doing this occasionally. We can be so harsh on certain characters in the Bible. We can look at someone and say, how could they act so foolishly? How could they disobey God? God had made it clear. God had protected them. How could they do that? We almost come down so hard on their failures. Here's what I mean by that. For the individuals in the Bible that sin, you and I must recognize that it is wrong. And it does deserve God's chastening and God's judgment. But I believe that at times we become so blinded to our own sin so blinded to our own coldness toward God, so blinded toward our own wickedness as we judge them, we must also view ourselves without much, without much prodding that we are above doing what they did. We must recognize that like Jonah failed, we fail. Like this individual can, can sin against God, we can choose to sin against God. Now, I'll be, I'll be very honest with you this morning. Uh, I remember when the story of Jonah was taught in Sunday school. I remember as an 8, nine, ten year old kid thinking, man, Jonah's really not that great. What's so great about this guy? Uh, I remember hearing the story of Jonah and thinking, what kind of prophet was this guy? When you think of a prophet, perhaps you think of a, of a bold character. You think of someone who was gifted. You think of someone who had endured great hardship in their obedience to God as they prophesied. You might think of Elijah. You might think of Jeremiah, Isaiah. But probably not Jonah. But if we are honest, Despite being hard on Jonah, we can look at Jonah and we can perhaps see some similarities in our life. We realize that like Jonah struggled, we struggle. As Jonah sinned, we sinned. Aren't you relieved and grateful this morning to know that our God is gracious despite man's unfaithfulness? Not only was God gracious to Jonah despite his unfaithfulness, but we also see in verse 3 and 4 that God was gracious to Jonah Despite his unsuitability. So he was gracious to Jonah despite his unfaithfulness. He was gracious to Jonah despite his unsuitability. What's wonderful to notice in verse 3 is that despite being unfaithful before, Jonah now obeys the command from God to go to Nineveh. He says in verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He obeys him now. The text does not seem to indicate that much time passes. Jonah simply arises and he gets up. Jonah's restored, and he rises right away to go back and obey God. Back in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, instead of rising up and obeying, it tells us in verse 3 that Jonah rose up and fled. But here he rises up and he obeys. As Jonah prepares to go into the city, we must pay attention to the way that the city is described. This was a great city, an exceeding great city. Literally, a city that is great God, a city that is great before God in his estimation, as though even God must acknowledge it. So Nimrod is called in Genesis chapter 9, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And Moses in Acts chapter 7 is said to, be, to have been beautiful to God. Here this is an exceeding great city to God. We must be reminded that this great city, it was not a religious city. It was actually a wicked and perverse city. These were not God-fearing individuals. Uh, These were were heathen, as Jonah might say. But Romans 3.29 reminds us that God is not only a God of the Jews, he's a God of the Gentiles as well. And that is how great our God's grace is. That he can be gracious to his chosen people and he can be gracious to the Gentile individuals as well. Now, the size of the city of Nineveh, has been disputed among many commentators. Um, it, it appears that if you do your research, the city was only about 60 miles in circumference. Now, throughout the, the book of Jonah, the the city is referred to as a great city four times. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, Jonah chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, and Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. It's referred four times as a, as a great city, an exceeding great city. And at the end of the book, we find out that in this city, that's 60 miles in circumference, in circumference, there is about 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. 120,000 people. In Mobile, the number is just over 189,000 people. Nineveh was said to be about 60 miles in circumference. The total area of Mobile, for a point of reference, is about 180 miles. So this was a a huge city. Like, the the amount of people, 120,000 people, If you were to examine the original languages in which this was written, you would come to realize that Jonah speaks of its greatness under a name which he would only have used of real greatness. Now, the city was not a God-fearing city. The people were known more by their violence, their wickedness, more than their devotion to God. Yet, this is the city that God commands Jonah to go to preach As you read in the passage of Jonah beginning to declare the message, you might be be surprised at the abruptness of the message and at the simplicity of it. He says, Yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. That's the message. How strange would it be if Pastor Sam got up one Sunday said, yet have 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. All right, let's bow, for our, head of pr- uh, let's bow our heads in, in prayer. It would be a short message. It was a short message. It was abrupt. It might have se- even seemed simplistic. Nothing really too special about it. But it was direct. You might be surprised at its abruptness, and simplicity. But though it carried weight with it because it was God's message, it did not seem to be that extraordinary. And you can almost picture Jonah walking through this great city, muttering this message to the city of Nineveh. From our perspective, it perhaps did not seem as if if the best equipped or the most dynamic prophet of God was sent to declare this message. You might be tempted to think, why not send another prophet? Why not send someone who might be more well equipped? The message from God was clear, and it was direct. It was listen to my message and repent. Or face my judgment. What is interesting to note though is the message, though it is not does not seem to be elaborate or presented in a way that sought to persuade the people or convince them, this is the message that God sent Jonah with. Jonah didn't seem like the most suitable individual for this task. You would think that a mighty message from God would be needed to persuade these individuals who had hardness in their lives, to persuade these individuals who were violent, who were ruthless, who were wicked we should be filled with awe as we see God employing Jonah even though he had proven to be unfaithful before and even though it seemed that he was not the most suitable for the job. We see so clearly here how gracious our God is to give a second chance to Jonah to obey his command. Christian, I believe if we were brutally honest today, we would admit that God has used us countless times before, though we did not seem to be the most suitable for the task. Perhaps God made it clear that you were supposed to share the gospel with someone at work or even within your family. Perhaps God was urging you to begin a a discipling relationship with another believer, but you did not fill up to the task. You felt others were more suitable to do that, and perhaps you even directly disobeyed God. Aren't you thankful for second chances to be used by God? Our God truly is gracious to us, what comes to mind is the example of Moses. Remember when God comes to commission Moses? Moses says, Send another. I, I'm not the most equipped. I, I can't do this. I can't go to Pharaoh. God sends someone else. And God says, I am that I am. Tell them that I have sent you. As you examine the text, it, it appears that Jonah did not seem to be the most suitable individual for this task. Seems that like he simply just stated God's message to the people. Of Nineveh. This is a tough nation, a truly violent nation, a truly violent group of individuals. What one might expect for this nation would be a dynamic speaker, someone with experience, someone with a powerful presence. But though Jonah seemed unsuitable, God was more than enough. When we proclaim God's truth, We do not have to be the best speakers and thinkers. It doesn't hurt if we are, but we don't have to be. We simply need to be willing to obey God. Again, thinking back to Exodus 3, verse 11, where we find God commissioning Moses to go, Moses simply needed to be willing. Remember that we are simply vessels to be used by God. Whether you think you are suitable or not to be used by God, you must value obedience to God as the most important. And realize that we are simply to be instruments used for God's glory. So we see that our God is gracious despite Jonah's unfaithfulness. Despite the fact that he was unsuitable. But we also see that our God is gracious despite Nineveh's unworthiness. You see... Jonah gives this message that is from God. And the response is really overwhelming. If you look in verse 5, it says, If you look in verse 5, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came into the kingdom of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. The response is drastic. It's, it's, it's immediate. And we see here that our God is gracious despite the fact that Nineveh truly is unworthy of God's grace. See, God's grace is on full display as we see the people of Nineveh respond to God's message to them. It was so this this response was so overwhelming that a fast was proclaimed to both man and beast. This fast was was put in place from the greatest to the least. Word carried to the king, and he also responded drastically. The Ninevites recognized Jonah as God's messenger. They recognized God's power as being able to execute the judgment mentioned by Jonah. And they had confidence in God's mercy if they chose to repent. Jonah had been miraculously preserved by God from death in the belly of the fish to proclaim God's message. The Ninevites believed in God since they hearkened to the preaching of this prophet that was sent to them by God. And they humbled themselves before God. This message from God caused both great and small to fast. There was no discrimination against age, against status. None of us seemed to take very seriously this message from God. They took what Jonah said seriously. They wore sackcloth. They ate not. They drank not. Think about this. Man and beast. They could have lost their livelihood if the beast were to die from starvation. But they chose to listen to God's message. They chose to respond immediately. We see here humility from the Ninevites, here towards God's messenger, and most importantly, God's message. I love just how they are affected and influenced and stirred by this message from God. Christian, does the word of God still influence you? I know we live in an age where there's, there's much that's calling for our attention But are you still stirred by the word of God? I'm grateful that even when we at times grow cold and even callous towards God and toward his word, he is still gracious to us. He gives us another chance. Let us consider here the audience of this message from God the Ninevites. I said that God's gracious despite Nineveh's unworthiness, and that's kind of a bold statement to make. But let's consider who Jonah is speaking to here. God was... Gracious to Nineveh, despite their unworthiness. There was no love for Nineveh by Jonah. Instead, you kind of find out that there's true resentment, there's fear, there's hatred that existed between them. Nineveh was ruthless. It was truly one of the most wicked places, similar back to the city of Sodom in Genesis. If you were to check out historical articles about Nineveh, you would probably be disgusted by what you would find out about this people. The people of Nineveh, I've mentioned, they had a, quite the violent nature. They'd ravaged many homes. They'd shown extreme greed in their raids. And that is why Jonah, when he when, and that is why when Jonah says if they don't repent, God will overthrow them just as he promised. That's why it comes so hard. Like, how are they receiving this message? He says, this city will be overthrown. Similar wording is used back in Genesis as well with Sodom and Gomorrah. That idea of overthrow, it, it speaks to utterly destroying. It means to be overturned, to be destroyed from the very foundations. The city of Nineveh, it was a great and a lawless place. In Nineveh, there, were, there was a reign of great terror, of violence and torture. In fact, after, after killing individuals, the Ninevite army would carry home parts of their victims and they would keep the limbs and parts of of those enemies as souvenirs. What is truly grotesque is that they would fillet their enemies and they would cut them to pieces. This was truly an unworthy nation. This was truly a wicked nation, a perverse nation. But God, extending his grace to the the Ninevites, reminds us that he's a God of the heathen as well. God of both Jew and and Gentile he is not a respecter of persons this morning it's so easy to look at the nation of Nineveh and to think how could God be gracious to such a wicked and ruthless people but don't think so highly of yourself what we must admit and realize is like Nineveh was unworthy so are you and I we are unworthy of God's grace apart from Christ there is no good in us The Bible says we were born sinners into this world. We deserve God's wrath. We do not deserve God's grace. What a God we serve. What a great and gracious God. Now I want to discuss something very briefly that is brought up in verse 10. It says, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them and he did it not. I don't want to spend much time on on it this morning, but I do want to address verse 10. How can God repent? Uh, And does this affect the immutability of God? Repentance has been understood by many as a change of mind leading to a change of action. Well, immutability means that God is unchangeable and thus unchanging. It does not mean that God is immobile or inactive, But it does mean that he is never inconsistent, he's never growing, he's never developing. See, if there was actually a change in God himself, then either he is not immutable, or he's not sovereign, or both. The expression of God repenting may mean that God was sorry or grieved. Just as we read in Genesis, God repented of the people that he made. He was grieved, he was sorry of the people back in in Noah's day. But immutability this morning assures you and me that none of God's perfections change. It offers you and me comfort and assurance that God's promises will not fail. We can, we can grasp the truth that God says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. It offers you and me comfort. God is devoid of all change, not only in his being, but also in his perfections and in his purposes and in his promises. God's immutability is his freedom from change and his being the same at all times, past, present, and future. Where God is said to change his mind or to repent or to move from one emotional state to another, we understand that he is revealing his unchanging character in judgment at one time and in grace at another. God's immutability is not an obstacle to a human relationship to God, but it is the foundation for our trust in him. So we come to our fourth reminder this morning. Our God is gracious, yes, despite Jonah's unfaithfulness. Our God is gracious, yes, despite Jonah's unsuitability. Our God is gracious, yes, despite Nineveh's unworthiness. But finally, you might have been a little appalled by what you read in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. We see here that our God is gracious despite Jonah's disapproval. See, the repentance of the Ninevites, even if it did not last, it showed at any rate a susceptibility on the part of the heathen for the word of God and their willingness to turn and forsake their sin and their ungodly ways so that God, according to his compassion, could extend grace to them in consequence. See, God not only forgives the converted man who lays aside his sin and walks in newness of life, But he has mercy also upon the penitent who confesses and mourns over his sin and is willing to amend. You would think that Jonah, once he saw the response of the people, he would be relieved or perhaps even joyous. God had used him to communicate his message to this wicked and to this unworthy people. God had used his message to drive these people to repentance and there was a drastic response. But instead of joy... Instead of joy, though, over God's grace being extended to the Ninevites, Jonah was vexed. He was irritated. He was displeased that God would extend his grace to Nineveh. And this vexation, it grew to anger. God's grace to Nineveh was to Jonah a great evil. Jonah had no sympathy for these people. In fact, it might have even relieved him or satisfied him to see the people of Nineveh face God's wrath instead of experiencing God's grace. Imagine that, though, 120,000 people. Jonah had more pity on a plant than he did on an entire nation. As Jonah utters his complaint to God, his complaint seems strange, does it not? Since he points out truths about God's character. Instead of being joyous about God's grace, he complains that God is gracious. He complains that God is merciful. He, he, he's, he's saying, God, I know you are slow to anger. I know you are of a great kindness. Jonah knew the character of God and it angered him that God would be gracious to the Ninevites. As we mentioned earlier, though Nineveh was truly unworthy, the truth is, all of us are truly unworthy. None of us deserve God's grace. In fact, we all deserve God's wrath. And God would be just and right in that judgment. As we come to the end of our our message this morning, I want us to think through a question. We've been speaking of God's grace today. We've we've read passages of scripture. We've sung songs of, of God's grace that is greater than all our sin. We've been speaking of God's grace today and been focusing on the truth that he's gracious to Jonah despite his unfaithfulness, despite our unfaithfulness. He's gracious to Jonah despite his unsuitability, also our unsuitability. He's gracious to Nineveh despite their unworthiness. He's gracious despite Jonah's disapproval. Today I want us to think through this question very briefly. What hinders us from having gospel conversations with others? God has made it clear in his word that we are to rejoice in his grace. We are to share the good news of God's grace to others. But what hinders us from having these conversations? I I see three potential roadblocks of what hinders us. I believe the first roadblock that might hinder us is the fact that we are prideful. We don't think that others deserve to receive God's great grace because, in our opinion, they are worse than us. They've done far more worse things than you and I could ever imagine. We think of their past. We, we might even think of their current struggles. And we cannot fathom them also being able to partake of God's great grace. Perhaps the individual, if, if one comes to mind this morning, perhaps it's a family member. Perhaps it's a neighbor. Perhaps it's a coworker. But what hinders us from having a gospel conversation by sharing the truth of God's grace is our pride. We see it here with Jonah. He was prideful concerning the Ninevites. He did not think that they deserved God's grace. That was why he fled. He says, I fled because I knew that thou art a gracious God. I knew that thou art merciful. I knew that thou art long suffering. The second roadblock is okay, yes, maybe pride, but secondly, perhaps we are fearful of these conversations. We don't know what to say, we don't know even where to begin. Maybe the thought comes into our mind, what if this affects our family dynamic? What if this affects this friendship? What if this affects the workplace? You fill in the blank. We're fearful of the response of the individual, and perhaps that's unfair because we're unfairly judging them. We think them to be too harsh or too unworthy. If you were to look at Nineveh, you'd say this is too violent, too ruthless, too cannibalistic. Like this, They cannot receive God's grace. God cannot forgive them. God cannot pardon them. We think them to be too harsh or too unworthy. We're fearful and we do not feel up to the task of sharing the gospel. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. So perhaps it's pride. Perhaps it's fear. Or finally, perhaps what hinders us is the fact that we simply know God's character. We know that neighbor. We know that coworker. We know that family member. And we do not want them to receive God's unmerited favor. Because in our eyes, they are not deserving. But Christian, none of us are deserving of God's grace. That is why you and I must marvel at God's grace. Our God is gracious, therefore we must glory in that truth and we must proclaim it to those around us. We must rejoice in it as a church family. And we must be willing to share it with those around us. I want to mention one more time, Just the definition from earlier of grace. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. It's not merely unmerited favor. It is favor bestowed on sinners who deserve wrath. Church, will you recognize today that our God is gracious? And will you choose to marvel at that truth? What a joy it is to serve such a gracious God. Let us be in awe of that today. Would you?